You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. I want to continue uh, today's message, and if you want to follow along, uh, or the series, and if you want to follow along, you can follow on the app. We have some, some filling in the blanks there for you. The scriptures are there, too. Um, uh, we've been in this series titled Revival, and this series uh, was impressed upon our hearts uh, for the beginning of the year because I believe God wants to revive different areas, different parts of our lives. He wants to revive our spirit, revive our strength, strength revive our faith. Uh, and we've been living in days that many have tried to, find, tried to find the solution for our collective problems. We have a lot of collective problems in society. We have collective problems that are local to our city, the state, uh, country, and the world. And what we have found out is that we, we may think sometimes that Societal problems, if the societal problems get fixed, if whatever's wrong out there gets fixed, then life in here is going to be okay. And that's, that's a bit of misunderstanding of how reality actually works. In fact, that's the whole point of the first few chapters of Genesis, is to show that even when the world is perfect out there, if something is wrong in here, everything can come crumbling down. And so we, we have seen a lot in our society people trying to address the outer works because they think that that's going to solve their uh, lack of satisfaction. But if we look at, at the scriptures, if you look at our, our experiences that have happened in the past in the world, if you look at history, we will notice this. What has made a true and lasting, a positive difference in the world has not been movements and things that have happened from the outside in. But it has been inside, inside out awakening of individuals who have a revelation and a realization of, of the plan and the purpose of God for their lives. People who are awakened and are revived change the world. Now, tomorrow is Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, day. Uh, we all celebrate and honor his life and his legacy. Dr. King died at 39 years old, and he has had a, a, such an impact in the world. But above all, the legacy that he has had is really his devotion to the call of God in his life, as I mentioned earlier. And too many people try to appropriate some of the words and some of the things that he said and, and just kind of like a sticker, just apply it to other areas of life without missing, missing this very important point of where his resolve came from. He was a doctor in theology. He was a pastor. He was a minister. He was a man of God. And if you, if you remember the video that we just showed when he says, I know about it, and he, pro he promised that he will never leave us, never alone, that wasn't just based on scriptures. That was a part of an experience that he had with God that changed his life. In fact, I want to read an excerpt from his book, Stride Toward Freedom, where Dr. King describes this life-changing experience that he had with the Lord. He wrote this, I was ready to give up with my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me. I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, 
I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. The words that I spoke, that I spoke to God at midnight, he was drinking coffee at midnight. <laughs> the words that I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. I am here. That's what he said. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right. But now I'm afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership. And if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I'm at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I have come to the point where I can't face it alone. And then he, he writes, At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced God before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And God will be at your side forever. This is the assurance that he had that God would never leave him. And almost at once, my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. Something happens when you go to God for revival. Something happens when you go to God to have your spirit awakened. And that's what changed Dr. King's life. It was the gospel. It was his experience with the Lord. It was his experience with God who called him to stand for justice, to speak for those who could not speak for themselves. And that was the moment that he decided that he was going to go until the end and fight for justice. Now, what's the foundation of the civil rights movement in America that has changed the world? That has been modeled not only here in America, but has been, has been seen as a model for the rest of the world. The foundation of the civil rights movement was a man who experienced a God revival in his spirit. And I start here because I want to share another step toward revival with you. Last week, we talked about how life comes from death. Right? If, you, if you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to the podcast. Uh, it's a challenging message, but an important one. And today I want to give you another step that's really important. And it's a step that's missing in our generation more and more. And this is it. I'm talking about the fear of God. The fear of God for every single one of us. When it comes to your conduct, when it comes to your behavior, there's nothing more important than the fear of God. I want to read a passage uh, in Scripture. It's a long passage, but this is the only Scripture reading we're going to do today, okay? And it's a parable where Jesus uh, talks about, uh, he explains the relationship between three people and God in this form of parable between masters and servants. So let's go to Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, and, and we're going to read. You can follow along on the screens. Scripture says this, For it'll be like a man, this is Jesus explaining, It'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property, to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and traded them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master, and, uh, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. 
His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here have, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would, should receive what was my own with interest. So, the, the talent from, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has little, for everyone who will be, sorry, for to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast a worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A very significant parable, and I wanted to read the whole thing to you. Because there are some certain things intertwined in this parable that we're going to highlight today. There's a lot that we can extract. We can do a whole series on this parable. But I want to highlight the elements of this parable that speak to the fear of God. Which is something really important for us. So the first thing I want to highlight in this parable is that what we learn from the words of Jesus. Obviously the master signifies God. The servant signify you and me. And what we learn from the word of Jesus is that we are appropriately equipped for the life we are called to live. That's the first thing. Every single one of us, we have the right set of qualities for the life that God has called us to live. Now, before my dad became a businessman, he was a professor at our local university in my hometown. And uh, my dad uh, made the decision, he decided that uh, all of his kids would learn a little bit of literature and math before school age. So he would teach us in, 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 at home. And then uh, what he did, he went to the school that, where we were going to start and convinced the principal that we didn't need kindergarten or preschool. So <laughs> he, I never went to kindergarten or preschool. I went straight to first grade at the age of five. My older brother, yeah, I know, my older brother tested out of first grade. He never did first grade. He went straight to second grade. So while that might have been, you know, my dad counted it as a victory academically. Uh, <laughs> while that might have been good academically, what happened is everybody else was older than me. So starting first grade earlier uh, meant that it might have been good academically, but not so much in sports. <laughs> because growing up, you know, everybody was a year or two older than me in, in, in school. And I really wanted to be good at sports. I really did. But everyone else was better than, than I was. And there was this one kid in church, in our group, that he was good at everything. You know those guys that were good at everything? Those people? They're just good at everything. You give him anything, he's just good at everything. Every single sport. Every, every single thing. Like, 
canoeing. <laughs> he was just great. I hated that guy. <laughs> so horrible. <laughs> no, he was a good friend. But I hated him. But I loved him, you know? <laughs> now he was short and, and shorter than me, I guess. But again, everybody was shorter than me. Uh, and he was skinny and nimble. So he used that to his advantage. I wasn't short. I was tall. Uh, and, and I wasn't big. But I did have ice cream every single day because my dad has an ice cream factory. So I, I, let's say I had some joy in my bones. And so uh, things were a little bit difficult on the, on the sports side. And growing up, I remember that used to, that used to make me mad. We, we used to go to like church events or school events, and, and I was never the guy, right? I was never in the top performers, and that would make me so mad. See, it's so easy to lose your joy because of what you don't have. It's so easy to look through life comparing yourself to other people and lose your joy, lose your sense of purpose because you're letting the things that you don't have define you. We all go through that. Oh, I'm not as talented as my friends. I'm not as good as that guy at work. I'm not as smart as my siblings. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not as strong as my friends. I'm not as good and the list goes on. You can fill in the blanks right there. But here's the thing. You can't judge a fish by its capacity to fly. Fish swim. Birds fly. And sometimes we compare ourselves to people who have a different set of talents, who are called by God to do something else. Their journey is not your journey. What they're called to do is not what you're called to do. And we think that we're not talented. We think that we're not, not uh, equipped because we don't have their talent. We see them thriving in what God called them to do. And we want to do the same things that they do. But we're not equipped for that. What if? What if you're a fish complaining that you can't reach the skies? And you're flapping your little, <laughs> your little uh, flippers trying to fly, and you're missing the wonders and the beauty in the ocean because you were made to swim. Let me encourage you today from the words of Jesus. God has equipped you. You have what it takes. You have the, the qualities, the talents, and the abilities to fulfill your call here on earth. And God did not do it randomly. It wasn't an eeny, meeny, miny, mo kind of thing. He's not an any mini mini mo kind of guy. He knows who you are. He shaped you. He formed you. See, the first thing Jesus says in his parable is that the master shared his property with the servants. See, God shared of his own attributes with you. The attributes that you have are a part of God. And we ought to live like so. There are, there's a part of God in you that he deposited in you. So that you can make a difference in the world. And Jesus says that God apportioned them appropriately according to your ability. So he didn't give you more than you can handle. He didn't give you less that would challenge you. That would not challenge you. He gave you just enough that, to make you awesome. So that you can multiply and, and, and live the purpose that he has called you to live. What would happen to your life? 
if you chose to live in 2022, every single day like this is true. What would happen to your life if you woke up in the morning and said, okay, the qualities and the talents that I have are given to me by God for a specific purpose that he had called me, has called me to. What would happen to your, your sense of purpose? I believe you would have a very different year. Number two, uh, two, the second thing that we can highlight from this passage is this. God has expectations of you. He has expectations of every single one of us. And I find it extremely intriguing that when Jesus painted a picture of God in this, in this parable, he chose to do so and say that God is like, is like somebody who is an investor. He is investing his talents. He's investing of his property with his servants. So he has made an investment in your life. Sometimes we can make the wrong assumptions these days. Because so often what we hear is that God is love, which he is. God is forgiveness, which he is. And he has forgiven your past. And he doesn't care what you've been, where you've been, which is all true. But what we, what, the problem is that we take that, we take that and then we just stretch it into our future. And we think because God doesn't care where we've been, he doesn't care where we're going either. Because he doesn't care uh, about the mistakes I've made, he doesn't care about the mistakes I will make. Like God is this uncommitted, laissez-faire, uninvested in your future. He doesn't really care. He doesn't have to worry about you. He's God. He loves you no matter what. Now, it's true. He loves you. But he does care about what you do with your life. God has commitments and expectations because he loves you. He loves you. Notice the master made an investment and then he set them free. See, God will never control you. He'll never micromanage you. God equips you, guides you, and empowers you to develop and grow. But he does have expectations for your life. God has invested into you. And as a loving father who invests in his children the right way, God expects you to grow. He expects you to lead a life that develops, that becomes what he has called you to be. And, 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 and he expects you to make something beautiful out of what he has given you. See, he's not a careless father. He's fully invested. And he wants, I'll say it again, he wants to see you grow. And if you observe in creation, everything God has made grows. Everything grows. Everything, even the universe is expanding, right? But everything grows. The sun emits a tremendous amount of energy. The earth has the right atmosphere, the right air density, the right amount of water, the right amount of salinity in our oceans to produce life. Everything is fine-tuned to produce life. And everything is, and life means growth. Right? Life means growth. And everything that has life grows. Animals grow. Trees grow. Vegetations grow. And you, you're meant to grow. I want you to imagine that if you have a child or a friend or somebody you love, and you find, you discover or you find out that that person has a, has a talent for something. They have, they have a quality about them, uh, an ability. They have something that's unique. And you are in a position to help them, you're in a position to unleash their destiny, to give them opportunities that they can't, uh, they can't uh, seize by themselves. And so you, 
you do what, what needed to be done. You make the investment. You encourage them. You pay for the class. You buy the equipment that they need. You, you take them to the place and you sign them up and, and you do everything that's needed that's in your power to set them up for, su for success. You've made the investment. And then they take it and do nothing with it. How would you feel? What would be your reaction if that was your reality? It's not that they failed. It's not that they went and tried and it didn't work out. It's not that they had to go and then wasted it all and was like, I'm sorry, man. It just didn't turn out the way we were expecting. No, they didn't even try. They did nothing. They didn't go to the class. You gave him a bicycle. They didn't ride it. You signed them up for it. They didn't do it. They just didn't do anything. They didn't engage with what you presented to them. The same goes for our lives. God has given us the abilities, and he has given us the qualities for us to make something out of our life. Now, life is not perfect. We live in a broken world, but you got to try. you got to get out there. You can't let the circumstances surround you to freeze you. You can't let fear to hold you back. Not fear of this world anyways. you got to try. And even if you fail, you got to try again. Get up again. And this is where the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, begins to guide your life. Because when you understand that God has called you, that he's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, when you understand that he has equipped you to make a difference in the world, right where you are, you begin to understand, and, and there's a growing sense of commitment and purpose that just enters your heart. And you begin to understand why you're here for. Why are you on this earth for? You begin to, to, to commit to the purpose of God for your life. Not because of your, you have privilege or you don't. Not because of anything else around you. But because you understand that God has made an investment into your life. And you think your ability that you have, the ability that you have to be good with numbers, God put it in you for his good purpose. So that you can make him proud. Your, your way with your words, some of you are great with your words. Writing, speaking, you're, you're great with it. God gave you that capacity for his good purpose. So why don't you honor him with it? See, your talent for sales, maybe you're great at sales, maybe you have a knack for engineering, maybe you have a musical talent. Whatever it is that you have, your ability that you have was given to you by Almighty God for his holy purpose. Now imagine, again, if you look at the year ahead and you approach the new year and you live like this every day with the awareness, every single day, that God has called you for something amazing and that what you hold in your lives, that he has an expectation of you. And it's not a, a if you don't do it, I'm going to come down on you expectation. It's an expectation of, hey, I want you to enter into my joy. I want to invite you into my kingdom. I want you to experience what life is meant to be. I believe you would grow beyond your expectations this year and get closer to God as a consequence. The third thing I want to highlight from this passage is something that 
studies have called the Matthew, Matthew effect. The Matthew effect is based on verse 29 from this parable. And the, 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 the verse, I'm going to reread it. It says this, For to everyone who has will, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. It's very interesting that Jesus made his statement, this statement. And it's kind of like a statement that is, it, it comes off the pages from the story. It's just a statement that Jesus makes that says, hey, this is what's going to happen. And it's proven to be true. If you look at history, uh, studies have been done on this. It, 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 it's it's kind of like a, a, a rule or a law in economics and in education that we don't really know how to bypass it. It happens, and some of you might have experienced it, this Matthew effect. And this is what it is basically, is that if you are in an upward trajectory... If your life is moving up, it gets easier and easier to move up. But if your life is moving down and you're descending, it gets harder and harder to move up. It gets easier and easier to move down into the abyss as well. This is true financially. If you're able to seize a financial opportunity, that will put you in a better position to get another opportunity and so forth. And that's why we have this situation where the rich get richer, right? It's just because they're in a better position to get more wealth. And it's not, a, it's not the curse of capitalism. It was happening way before capitalism became the thing. And we don't know how to get around it. This is, this is the way it is. But it also applies to academics. It's really interesting. They've done a study where they learned, they learned that kids who have trouble reading in the, at, at a young age, and, and if they have trouble reading and they don't develop a, a, an affection for reading, they're going to read less and less and less and less. And when they get to high school or, or, or college, they'll just do the bare minimum. And what that does is it obviously affects what they get exposed to, and affects their confidence, and it has all sorts of other consequences. But the, the opposite is also true. Kids who are better readers, who are instilled with the sense of confidence when they're young, they develop a love for reading, and they read more and more and more. And the more they read, the more they know. And because they know, they have more confidence. And all, there's all of these unintended consequences, positive consequences, that happen in their lives as well. The Matthew effect, or Matthew principle, where it's also called, it's a powerful gauging mechanism. And it's right out of this parable. This little story that Jesus shared about the relationship three servants had with their masters. And if you remember, the one who had five talents, he turned it into ten. Because he turned it into ten, he got the extra one from the one who had just one. The one who had two talents turned it into four. But the one who had won, he buried it. He did nothing with it. Now let me ask you this question. Which of the servants feared God? Which of them feared God? See, I want you to think about this. Because there is a big difference. A huge difference between fearing God and being afraid of God. Those are two separate things. They're not the same thing. See, fearing God means reverence. Fearing God means honor and devotion to God. Fearing God means you take God seriously. You take His call on your life seriously. You take the relationship that He has with you seriously. And those who fear God come to know God. But being afraid of God, that was the problem with the guy who just got one talent and buried it. He said, I was afraid of you. 
I was afraid of you. And when you're afraid of God, it's a victim kind of fear. You feel like you're a victim of God, that everything that has happened to you is because God has been against you. And that's the wrong kind of mindset. That, that's, a, that's a mindset that keeps you, keeps you bound. And what this parable teaches us is that not only that you have been equipped, but that the outcome of your life depends on how you respond to God. The outcome of your life depends on how you respond to God. If you treat God, if you treat what God has given you with carelessness, if you ignore his call, if you're lazy, that's what that guy was, right? Wicked. And you don't take the initiative to respond to the things that God has placed in our life properly, to what he has deposited in your life properly. Whatever little you have, it's not going to prosper. It might, even be taken, it might even be taken away. And what G, the way Jesus describes his servants is very interesting. He describes them in two ways. The ones who honored and invested and, and feared God, he called what? Good and faithful. They were good and faithful. But the one who did nothing with his talent and buried it in the ground, he called him slothful and wicked. And here's what I believe. The good and faithful servants, the ones who lived by faith and made their life count, they did so because they had the fear of the Lord in their heart. And that's what we're called to do. God has given us something amazing, so I'm going to do this unto him. But the ones that were wicked and slothful, they buried the talent because they were afraid of God. They didn't see what God saw. They didn't have the vision that God had. They couldn't believe. They didn't have the faith. They did nothing. And the Bible has very strong words of rebuke and correction for lazy people. If you go from Genesis to Revelation, you will not find a break for lazy people. There's no, there's no break. In fact, in Revelation, there's a very interesting passage there where God literally barfs. Could you imagine, like, God just... I just, I have a, a photographic memory, and that's the way I see, you know, God in that passage. In Revelation, it says that because you were not hot or cold, but you were like, eh, I'm going to... That's what it says, that God barfs at the lukewarm. The person who's like, eh, eh, it's okay. See, the worst thing you can do with your life is nothing. Is take what God has given you. Take the talents, the things that need to be developed, the things that, that are in you, and you leave them dead. See, God wants to revive some things in you today because maybe you've, you've gone through situations where some of the dreams were buried. Some of the, the thoughts and ideas were buried. Maybe because you didn't know. Maybe because you didn't have an experience with God. Maybe because you tried and you failed. And you've had traumatic experiences. And, and, and you lacked the belief. And like Dr. King, you came to a place where you were like, I, I can't go on. I am at the end of myself. But you didn't have a revelation of God to come to him and say, God, will you help me? But I believe today is that day. 
I believe this is the season where God is going to revive some of those things in your life. Now, what happens when you engage life and you begin to move down? What happens when you do it? You can say, J.D., I've tried it, and things just trickled, and I, just, I was the one going down. I wanted to go up, but I was going down. And I didn't know how to change the down. Because that's what it says, right? It's, that's the Matthew effect. How do, how do you turn it around? It's hard to turn a downward spiral around. How do you do it? I believe the way you do it is by the fear of the Lord. I believe that this parable, that's what's actually teaching us. That's what's actually teaching us. It's teaching us how to avoid an uncontrollable downward spiral where our lives will just keep moving to the abyss and you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do to turn it around. And this is what Jesus is trying to awaken us to see. If you're in that position right now where you're trying to catch a break and you're doing everything that you can, you have to do what Dr. King did. you got to come to a place where you put your face in your hands and you say, God, I met my end. I can't, I can't continue. I want to continue. I just can't. I don't have the strength and I can't do it on my own. And then you got to live like this message, what I just shared with you, is true. Like, like it is true that God has ordained your life. You got to wake up every morning believing that your life is ordained by God. You are not a happenstance. You're not an accident. You are not, you are not the result of simply your mom and your dad coming together, however it happened, and then you're here, poof, here you are. No, God ordained your life, and that's why you're here. If you wake up committed every single day to that idea, and you wake up every day committed to God and to His purpose for your life, and you live like you are properly equipped, not like you're lacking, but that you are properly equipped, then you can begin to live life mindful that you don't answer to man. You don't answer to your circumstances. Whatever your job, your career, your school, your teacher, your principal, like the context of your life, you don't answer to them. You answer to God. Because God has expectations of you. And because you answer to God, there's this fear of God in you, which is holy and sacred and important. And with the fear of God, this is, how, this is what begins to happen in your life. You realize that you, you are, if you're married, you're a faithful husband. You're a faithful wife. Why? Because of the fear of the Lord. Because the vow that you made to your spouse was before God. And He ordained your marriage. So you're faithful. You are a present father. You're a present mother. Because the children you have, they came from God. They might have come through you, but they came from God. And they are God's. So you, you, you parent them with the fear of the Lord. You are a good employee. You work with integrity. Not because your company demands it, but because you are a child of God. And you work unto God. Yes, you might have a boss. Yeah, you might have a job description. Expectations might be had of you. But above all, God is the one you work under. You work unto God. So you give your best. You're a good employer. You treat your team with fairness, 
We, you value the people because your company or division ultimately answers to God. Your ultimate goal is not the bottom line. It's not the dollar amount, but it's the call of God on your life. So every action you take, you take with that in mind. You are a good, a good citizen. You, you act every day as a good citizen because call, God has called you to shine his light of love and truth in the world. So you, your behavior is not determined by politicians. Your behavior is not determined by the latest meme. Your behavior is not determined by what's trending on Twitter. Please <laughs> forget that. <laughs> but you, you know that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So you honor people because you, they are your brothers and sisters under God. And you value life because life is a gift from God. Do you see how the fear of God changes everything? Do you see how the fear of God changes your perspective? Changes how you approach life? Changes how you approach your relationships? It changes everything about you. And I believe that we need to revive the fear of God in our communities, in our families, in our hearts. So that we may be who God has called you, who God has called us to be. See, God has expectations of you, but they are not unattainable. You can become who God has called you to be. And it is good to be good and faithful. Because it is to the good and faithful that more will be given. That's the secret. How do you turn a, a downward spiral around? Be like the good and faithful servant. Because it is to the good and faithful that more will be given. Not because they deserve it, but because God is a rewarder. Not because they deserve it, but because they have the fear of the Lord. And I believe that if you remain good and faithful, before long, whatever trajectory your life is in, it's going to change for the better. Because you begin to see the results of your faithfulness, the results of your fear, the fear of God that you have in you, and your consistent fear of God, your consistent reverence for God, your consistent honor to God and excellence will lead you to growth. And you will experience the life that God has called you to live with less hindrances. There might be still challenges, there might be still obstacles, but you will thrive in Jesus' name. And it is my prayer that we all may grow in the fear of the Lord this year. Do you receive it? Amen. Amen. We're so glad you're here. Yeah.